Good Morning Nancy is a horror movie podcast, so it may not be for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Good morning, Nancy. My name is Gracie. And I'm Abby. And if you're new to the show, welcome. This is season eight, episode three, and we are so excited for you to join us. Gracie and I have been friends since forever, and we love talking about our favorite horror movies together and with you. All while drinking a nice cup of coffee. Today we'll be discussing the 2001 thriller From Hell. It was written by Terry Hayes and Rafael Iglesias based on the graphic novel by Alan Moore and Eddie Campbell. The film was directed by the Hughes Brothers and stars Johnny Depp, Heather Graham, and Ian Holm. We are not shy about spoilers, so if you haven't seen this film, we highly suggest that you pause this episode and watch it. Are you still here? Okay, cool. Then let's get this morning started. So, on Friday, August 31st, in 1888, the body of a woman by the name of Mary Ann Nichols, known as Polly to her friends, was discovered on what is now called Deward Row in Whitechapel, London, England. After that, four more women were found murdered. Annie Chapman, Elizabeth Stride, Catherine Eddowes, and Mary Jane Kelly. Their untimely deaths would spark a 130-plus-year manhunt for a murderer known only by his tabloid name, Jack the Ripper. Over the years, Ripperologists, as they are known to be called, have been trying and failing to find the identity of this killer. Countless conspiracy theories on his true identity exist, but at this point, it seems almost impossible that we will ever find out who he really was. Enter From Hell, a graphic novel by British writer Alan Moore and British artist Eddie Campbell, originally published in serial form from 1989 to 1998 for Taboo, a comics anthology magazine. The full collection was published in 1999 by Top Shelf Productions. According to the Wikipedia page dedicated to the graphic novel, quote, set during the Whitechapel murders of the late Victorian era, the novel speculates upon the identity and motives of Jack the Ripper. The novel depicts several true events surrounding the murders, although portions have been fictionalized, particularly the identity of the killer and the precise nature and circumstances of the murders. The title is taken from the first words of the From Hell letter, which some authorities believe was an authentic message sent from the killer in 1888. According to the Wikipedia page dedicated to the film, From Hell takes as its premise from British author and journalist Stephen Knight's theory that the Jack the Ripper murders were part of a conspiracy conspiracy to conceal the birth of an illegitimate royal baby fathered by Prince Albert Victor, Duke of Clarence. According to Casebook, Jack the Ripper, Knight's theories have been described as quote-unquote a good fictional read whose conclusions have been disproved numerous times. Jeez. (laughs) From Hell was an extremely popular graphic novel during its time and won numerous awards, including, but not limited to, several Eisner Awards, which are known as Academy Awards for Comics, a Harvey Award for its achievement in comics, and the International Horror Guild Award for Graphic Story Illustrated Narrative. 
Okay, so the film From Hell is based on the graphic novel, and it spent many years in development hell, ironically. Several actors, including Daniel Day-Lewis, were considered for the role of Inspector Aberlene, and after they all dropped out, Johnny Depp was brought on board. Oh my god, could you imagine this film with Daniel Day-Lewis? I don't think it would work. (laughs) I don't either. I don't mean to be a dick, but... (laughs) He's too good for it. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Okay, so according to Rotten Tomatoes uh, and Box Office Mojo, From Hell was theatrically released in the United States on October 19th, 2001, and grossed over $74 worldwide on a budget of only $35 and received mixed reviews from critics. Ebert and Ropert, however, gave it two thumbs up, with Ebert saying, quote, Despite its gothic look, From Hell is not in the hammer horror genre. Despite its Sherlockian hero, it's not a Holmes and Watson story. Despite its murders, it's not a slasher film. What it is, I think, is a guignol about a cross-section of a thoroughly rotten society, corrupted from the top down, unquote. And according to Ann Foster in their article, Why It's Time to Stop Talking About Jack the Ripper. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) It's all in caps. (laughs) They say, quote, we will never know who Jack the Ripper was, but we do know the names, ages, and many details about these five women. The time is ripe to bring a similar approach to other notorious murderers, setting aside the motivations and manifestos of murderers and respecting the victims by saying their names and learning their stories, unquote. Hell yes. I know. Agreed. For crying out loud. Yes. And with that said, Abby, would you please remind us all of the plot? Yeah. Mary Kelly, a sex worker, along with her small group of friends, have to work double time to pay off a group of men who terrorize them called the Nichols Gang, while also avoiding a murderer at large, but despite their best efforts, they are picked off one by one. Their dear friend Anne Crook, a newly married former sex worker, is kidnapped and whisked off to an asylum where she receives a lobotomy under the supervision of William Gull a physician to Queen Victoria and her son, Prince Albert. Anne's new husband disappears, so the baby is taken in by Anne's parents, while the group of sex workers do their best to find out what happened to Anne and her husband. They are sidetracked by the murder of Martha Tabram, another sex worker. Inspector Aberline, the lead detective trying to solve the murder, decides to consult Dr. Gull, as he believes that the murders were conducted by someone with medical knowledge. He learns a great deal from Gull and uses his consultations along with his own psychic visions of the murder to piece the mystery together. Four more women are murdered as Mary Kelly begins to fall in love with Aberline, but their love affair comes too late as the murderer takes his last victim, Mary. Aberline believes Mary to be dead and then it becomes apparent that there's an underlying conspiracy theory to the murders. It turns out that Queen Victoria's son, Albert, is Anne Crook's husband, making baby Alice the rightful heir to the throne. Apparently, he and Anne were married in a Catholic ceremony in front of witnesses, who turn out to be the murdered sex workers. The Queen orders the entire group of sex workers, along with baby Alice, to be murdered by Dr. Gull. Because Dr. Gull is a member of the Freemasons, they too have a hand in the murders. 
Even with all of the witnesses dead, Dr. Gall becomes bloodthirsty. So to keep the scandal covered up, the Freemasons vote to have Dr. Gall lobotomized in order to stop him from killing again. The Freemasons also threaten to keep their eye on Aberline, to be sure that none of their secrets are revealed. Later, Aberline receives a letter from Mary, who is still alive, asking for him to join her and baby Alice in the countryside where they have escaped. He does not respond to the letter in order to keep her identity hidden from the Freemasons, who are watching his every move. Years pass, and Aberline overdoses all alone in an opium den, while Mary and Alice live freely and happily in the country. Thank you, Abby, for that lovely little plot summary. Oh, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the Bechdel test. Yes, it passes. There are a few scenes where the women discuss Anne Crook and baby Alice and a little, some other things about their lives. Mostly, though, they do talk about men, which sucks. Nancy's dream team test. Let's see here. Was the supporting cast at least 50% women? Yes, it was. Did a woman write, direct, produce, or edit the film? No to none of those. <laughs> was the final girl or main character a person of color? No, but we do want to mention that the directors, the Hughes brothers of this film, were two men of color, so we shouldn't ignore that. Right. Were there any openly LGBT plus characters in the film? Yes, the character of Annie Chapman is a lesbian, and um, after hearing the director's commentary about this, it's problematic. Uh, To say the least. To say the least, which was very disappointing. Yeah. Okay, so let's get into the discussion. Let's talk about these five women. According to Ann Foster, quote, while we will never know the identity of their murderer, Rubenhold, and we'll talk about Rubenhold in a minute, works to ensure that we learn more than just the names of these five canonical victims. Mary Ann Polly Nichols was 43, Annie Chapman was 47, Elizabeth Stride was 44, Catherine Eddowes was 46, and Mary Jane Kelly was only 25. And then Foster goes on to talk about the book The Five, The Untold Lives of the Women Killed by Jack the Ripper by historian Haley Rubenhold, which was published very recently in February of 2019. And uh, Foster says, quote, in her book, Rubenhold pieces together who these women were using census records and other archival materials to learn who they were and how each wound up alone at night in Whitechapel. In doing so, the author reveals much about what life may have been like for many lower class women in 19th century London. Then as now, a culture of misogyny combined with lack of compassion for addiction and mental health issues kept these five women effectively trapped in a cycle of poverty. Culturally, then as now, this This meant that the mainstream population could easily dismiss them as being somehow less than human to begin with. By focusing her narrative on the women's lives, sidelining the murders themselves, Rubenhold reminds us all that these women were much more than just ready-made victims, unquote. And, you know, I had actually never heard of this book until I started researching the film and these murders. So um, I picked up a copy. (laughs) Good. And I haven't, I wasn't able to read it in time for this episode, but I have a copy and I really suggest all of you do the same. I'll link one, uh, link a copy to it in the show notes. Yeah, actually, I, I was just talking about this too when I was researching this episode about how like, it's really annoying that all of this stuff exists about Jack the Ripper 
And the victims are almost never talked about. Yeah, just so you all know who are listening, we're not actually going to be talking really that much about Jack the Ripper. <laughs> yeah, no, like... You can literally listen to... You can just search Jack the Ripper in your podcast app, and I'm sure a ton of ton of podcasts will pop up about him, but we don't really yeah. care. <laughs> yeah, it's been, it's been done to death. No pun intended, so... Ugh. But yeah, like, something that I find really interesting about the victims is that everyone presumes that they are, that they were all sex workers, which, like, if you've done any kind of reading or research, you'll know that these claims were nothing more than assumptions or sensation from the media at the time. And it's even talked about in the film that the media sensationalizes a lot of the happenings around Whitechapel. So according to an article by penguin publishing company quote jack the ripper killed prostitutes right wrong (laughs) (laughs) wrong also the word prostitutes gross this is really dating this article but (laughs) (laughs) it says there is actually very little to suggest that three out of five of his victims were sex workers at all all of the women except one, were killed in the open under the cover of darkness, and this led the police to assume that these women were lured there by a maniac killer for sex, even though the coroner's inquests ascertained that Jack the Ripper never had sex with any of his victims. Mm. In fact, three of the women frequently slept on the street, and on the nights they were killed, they didn't have any money for a lodging house. The coroner's inquests demonstrated that all of the women were murdered in reclining positions and there was no sign of struggle. Rather than reach the conclusion that Jack the Ripper killed women whilst they slept, the police were committed to the theory that the women were prostitutes and the papers, eager to make money, ran with the story. Thus, the legend of Jack the Ripper's victims was born." Uh, And none of the women actually came from Whitechapel either. According to that same article, Polly Nichols grew up in Holborn, while Annie Chapman spent most of her life between Knightsbridge, Windsor, and Belgravia, and also Piccadilly. Um, Elizabeth Stride was actually born in Sweden and emigrated to the UK to work for a wealthy English family in Hyde Park, whilst Kate Eddowes was born in Wolverhampton and spent most of her adolescence and her 20s in the Midlands. And Mary Jane Kelly claimed to be from both Wales and from Ireland. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So most of these women were also considered undesirables because they left their husbands, had children out of wedlock, and came from working-class families. So they were, unfortunately at the time, very easy targets. Wow. The fact that they were considered undesirables for such like little things like leaving your husband yeah like one of, that one of the women left her husband because he cheated on her so she was like oh bye <laughs> oh, so society just... is like okay <laughs> oh that sucks so much yeah. for her oh yeah it does yeah and like you know and it doesn't even matter whether they were sex workers or not too because they were still human beings yes (laughs) i know that might be hard for people to comprehend um but like since the time of their deaths they've been reduced to just corpses and not people which bothers the hell out of me yeah and like katie engelhart uh wrote an interesting article about ripperology and jack the ripper tours called quote our Jack the Ripper obsession is misogynist and said, 
quote, on any given evening, hordes of tourists follow in Jack's footsteps along the cobblestone streets of London's East End, led by animated tour guides, many in something approximating 19th century attire. They duck in and out of dark alleys and pass around fuzzy post-mortem photos of Jack's victims, bodies with slashed faces and missing kidneys and peeled off skin. The newest Jack the Ripper tours, running nightly, are more gore-drenched than ever. One tour company uses something called quote-unquote ripper vision, basically a handheld projector that flashes mortuary photo photographs onto walls or bits of pavement. It's very modern, very different, a new way of looking at things, Ripper Vision's inventor told me. On one of the several Jack the Ripper tours I went on last fall, my guide took pains to emphasize that Jack's victims, while prostitutes, were none too easy on the eyes. He flashed an image of Annie Chapman, Jack's second victim, and grimaced. By the 20th century, though any clinical connotations attached to this label were gone, Jack had become more than a murderer. He was a narrative pattern, an enduring boogeyman, and a cautionary tale for women so bold as to walk the streets alone. 120-something years later, London's women still have much to fear in Jack, unquote. That's gross. I would be pissed if I saw that on a tour. I would be like, can I have my money back, please? Like... (laughs) Yeah, these tours are anywhere between $12 and $15 a pop. That's fucking gross, dude. Like, I'm. that's infuriating to me. Yeah, it's really upsetting. Um, Maya Crockett brings up Reuben Hold's book as well and says, quote, By focusing on the women's complex lives, not their brutal deaths, Reuben Hold's book does a stunning job of readdressing this imbalance. Quote, at its very core, the story of Jack the Ripper is a narrative of a killer's deep abiding hatred of women and our cultural obsession with the mythology only serves to normalize its particular brand of misogyny, unquote. And to continue, it is only by bringing these women back to life that we can silence the Ripper and what he represents, unquote. So again, make sure you grab a copy of that book seriously my god right and our society has a terrible habit of silencing people of color lgbtq plus people and women and this basically is what's happening here with these women we're so preoccupied with jack the ripper that we never think about the victims like you said earlier like the only thing that we quote unquote know is that they were sex workers which isn't even true yeah And I think this sort of goes along with society's love of modern serial killers. Like, I don't know about you, I'm sure you agree, but I cannot stand how there are people out there that swoon over Ted Bundy. Bro, it's disgusting. (laughs) Disgusting? Disgusting! It's awful. I don't... Like, I don't want to, <laughs> no, I don't want to compare this to horror movies, though, like people who really like Jason or Freddy, because horror movies aren't real, right? Like, I feel like to me, it's like there's this degree of separation when it comes to horror, like liking horror and liking true crime serial killers. Like, there are people who like Disney villains, too, you know, like it's fiction, it's not real, they're characters. Uh, yeah okay maybe it's based on true events some of these characters are but jack the ripper was real and i kind of love how in the film he ends up being ian holm yeah you know i don't know if you knew about that show called time after time it came out i think a few years ago maybe last year i don't know 
and it is actually based on a book based on a movie and um i don't remember the names of the actors in the movie but um the guy who plays jack the ripper is is sydney prescott's professor in scream 2 but he's not like a handsome looking guy you know he's like a normal looking man yeah and um in the film and the film that's who plays him and in the tv show i don't know the actor but he's hot so Jack the Ripper is like this hot guy in this TV show. And it's so annoying. <laughs> like, they make this serial killer who brutalized women like this hot guy. and That it's is like, really annoying. Yeah. And so really, if this movie does anything right, it's that Ian Holm, who's this little short little old man, is Jack the Ripper. So it's uh, I love how over the top it is with like the black oh, contacts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like... What are you, a shark? <laughs> <laughs> I think that was their intent. It must have been. Oh, oh my god. god. So funny. Kind of like doll's eyes. Cold and lifeless. Yes. <laughs> if anything, it like it makes it campy, I guess. But mm-hmm. anyway, mm-hmm. let's discuss women and sex work in Whitechapel. So according to the article Fed Up with Jack the Ripper, quote, Now as then, women working in prostitution are particularly vulnerable to violence, especially trans women and migrant women. A woman working in prostitution is 18 times more likely to be murdered than the general population. While I don't want to be a party pooper, I can't get that figure out of my head. I'll sign off with this quote on Jack from feminist academic Deborah Cameron. The question for society is not which individual man killed, but why so many men have done and still do, unquote. And I mentioned there was a Jack the Ripper tour that was pretty misogynistic uh luckily there is a feminist jack the ripper tour in Whitechapel that you can take now nice yes and this is the description from the website quote forget the overly theatrical man in a top hat and overcoat we are not focusing on him our alternative jack the ripper walking tour investigates the grim and unfair situations women had to face in the 19th century this is a chance to hear about the real women behind the glorified vision of jack visiting the streets they would have known and seeing and seeing the physical reminders in an area that has changed almost beyond recognition the walk will concentrate on women's lives rather than their murders and aims to inspire you with the stories of brave and brilliant east end women past and present unquote oh my god that's incredible yeah i was very happy to find that in my research yeah And I want to quote Charlotte Melanson, who says, quote, It has been argued by several feminist historians that the whole grand narrative of the Whitechapel murders is held aloft to all women as a warning of what may happen should they breach their prescribed gendered limits of domesticity, geography, and sexuality. In this way, the story of Jack and his deeds is built around a cornerstone of whorephobia, This is, yeah, this is the hatred of, oppression of, violence towards, and discrimination against sex workers. And by extension, derision or disgust towards activities or attire related to sex work, the women killed by and large are rarely represented as anything but deserving, diseased, destitute, addicted, immoral, and unslightly. They were part of a community which was too visible and deemed verminous. And many sources at the time overtly stated that the sins of the fallen far outweighed the sins of the hand that slew them, unquote. (sighs) That's awful. 
It is awful. And we're going to talk more about this in a minute, but like, this is still an issue. Yeah. Women who are sex workers are still treated like they are lower class or like they're down on their luck. And so like, this is why they are doing it. And like, maybe back then in the 19th century, that was why a lot of women became sex workers was because they left their husbands and there was nothing that they could do except this to make money. I mean, sex is a commodity. Like, yes. Honestly, when it comes down to it, in every single society, there will be someone who will pay for sex. Right. So if there's people paying for it, obviously there's a demand and stuff for it. So if you look at it that way from like an economic perspective, but not even that, like sex work is real work. It's a it is a real job and it's so wild to me that it's taking people so long to board that goddamn train cuz <laughs> it's one of I forget who said it, but there's a quote out there that's like sex work is one of the oldest professions of mankind or something like that, something along those lines. And I'm like for it to take actual centuries for this to be recognized is like it's mind-boggling well and maybe this is a weird way to think of it but i like to think of it like baking sometimes you bake yourself sometimes you bake for your partner (laughs) yeah and you know and then sometimes you want someone else to bake for you (laughs) yeah yes girl (laughs) but it's just like like you said like it's a commodity so it's like who like who cares what I mean, there's people buying it. So are you going to shame the people that are buying it too? Or right, exactly. What, I guess what? some people are, but but it's uh, mostly sex workers <laughs> that get shamed. So stupid, dude. All right. So I want to end this section with a quote from Jennifer Pegg, who wrote an article for Casebook saying, Jack the Ripper took the lives of these women and in doing so attacked their womanhood. Jack was and remains a coward who exploited the most vulnerable people in society. These were people who did not want or choose to be exploited or vulnerable, but who found themselves to be so nonetheless, unquote. So we talk more about sex work in our episode about the film Frankenhooker. So I'll link that in the show notes for you all to listen to. And now it's time to discuss women, hysteria, and medical experiments. Yeah, let's talk about lobotomies. Great. (laughs) Oh, fucking terrible. Oh, my God. Okay, so they emerged in medical and psychological science in the 1880s as a way to, quote unquote, provide relief to patients who were mentally disturbed. And according to live science, lobotomies are described as follows. Lobotomy, also known as leucotomy is a neurosurgical operation that involves severing connections in the brain's prefrontal lobe. Um, And this is also according to Encyclopedia Britannica. Lobotomies have always been controversial, but were widely performed for more than two decades as a treatment for schizophrenia, manic depression, and bipolar disorder, among other mental illnesses. Oh my god, as someone who lives with depression, that scares the shit out of me. Yeah. Like, lobotomies have always made me really uncomfortable, like, when I see them in, like, film. Um, And I cringed hardcore watching Anne get lobotomized. Like, I can't help but think what might have happened to me or 
any friends that I have or loved ones during that time who live with those mental illnesses. Yeah, yeah, it's rough. And lobotomy was also an umbrella term for a series of different operations that uh, purposely damaged brain tissue in order to treat mental illness. Yeah. And according to Dr. Baron Lerner, a medical historian and professor at NYU Langone Medical Center, um, he said for live science, quote, the behaviors doctors were trying to fix, they thought, were set down in neurological connections. The idea was if you could damage those connections, you could stop the bad behaviors, unquote. Hmm. When lobotomy was invented, there were no good ways to treat mental illness, and people were looking for pretty desperate kinds of interventions, he said. Even so, there were always critics of the procedure, he added. So, science has these really dark pieces of history where we targeted women, people of color, poor people, etc. And, I mean, it still happens today. Mm. Way too often obviously. But I mean, these are just some of the origins of it. And it has led to years and years of misinformation about the mental state of women and minorities. Often seen as hysterical, women were treated brutally within the medical society of the time. And that kind of bled out into many other aspects of life and culture. And women who became sex workers or who had child out of wedlock, who liked to act like men, essentially, were seen as a threat and had to be subdued. And Yeah, and I mean, this isn't the only time we see this in horror films either. And obviously with good reason, because lobotomies were performed up until the late 1960s, (gasps) which is absurd. You know, I'm not surprised, though. Yeah, I know, and it's because it went unchecked for so long. Even though the risks had been observed and recorded by doctors, psychiatrists, and psychologists. And, like, why did it go ignored for so long? And why do we continue to treat women similarly in the medical field today? Um, To kind of answer that, there's an article by Andrea Tone and Mary Koziel, and the authors discuss... um, the disparities in psychological and medical science when it comes to women. And they say, quote, The history of psychiatry is replete with examples of poor outcomes for women in need, often women who sought medical help. Lobotomies are an extreme but illustrative example. Ask medical students about lobotomies' history, and you will probably hear a narrative similar to that from PBS's acclaimed 2008 documentary, The Lobotomist. In the 1940s, when psychiatric asylums were understaffed, underfunded, and overcrowded, neuropsychiatrist Dr. Walter Freeman popularized psychosurgery to, quote-unquote, liberate patients from the hopelessness of therapeutic nihilism and the probability of lifelong custodial care. The most Hmm. frequently performed lobotomy was the transorbital. A physician guided a long cannula... Freeman first used an ice pick through the patient's eye socket and into the brain and then moved it left to right, a motion which some have compared with that of a windshield wiper to sever the... (laughs) Yeah, it gets pretty rough. (laughs) To sever the patient's lower frontal lobes. In 1937, Freeman and surgeon James Watts published on the surgery's benefits based on a case study of six patients with psychiatric system symptoms. 
They credited the surgery for alleviating patients' symptoms, uh, which included insomnia, nervous tension, apprehension, and anxiety, and they identified drawbacks, too. Patients were more comfortable, but markedly more docile. Every patient loses something by this operation, they conceded. Some spontaneity, some sparkle. All the same, scientific acceptance of lobotomies grew. In 1949, its putative founder was awarded a Nobel Prize. By 1952, an estimated 50,000 patients in the United States and Canada had been lobotomized. Oh my god. Yeah, disgusting, right? <laughs> like, this is a problem. And you may. <laughs> like, this is a problem, right? Right, this is a right, problem. <laughs> and you god. may ask your. I know. You may ask yourself why something like this goes unchecked for so long, and like why no one spoke up about the procedures immediately. The authors go on to say a related problem is how to discuss implicit bias within the frame of today's evidence-based medicine. A physician's authority stems partly from a shared understanding that a doctor's personal views will be checked by the collective weight of meta-analysis and double-blinded randomized controlled trials or best practice guidelines based on aggregate data. Evidence-based medicine roots physicians in the objective soil of science. Implicit bias highlights their subjectivity and individual variability. Medical practitioners continue to reflect and reinforce the prejudices of our time. In this sense, we share more with those in the age of lobotomy than we wish to acknowledge. Even the term evidence-based medicine tacitly suggests a time when medicine was practiced without it. So that was kind of a mouthful, but basically, while the authors are speaking from a modern point of view, obviously they're talking about, like, lobotomy and how it evolved and, you know, where we are now as far as, like, medical practices go. I mean, if the collective is supposed to be checking each other, but the collective agrees that women are expendable and nothing more than experimental tools, then of course it's going to be problematic for women. Like... That was a wild ride. (laughs) I know. I know. Tell me about it. Of course, as we all know, misogyny doesn't end with women's medicine. Oh, God. Let's get into our final thought. Jack the Ripper and the police, the embodiment of misogyny. Woo! Hot takes with Gracie and Abby. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, it's... It's hard to watch this film without thinking about misogyny. <laughs> yeah. Which I laugh, but it's really not that funny. <laughs> we laugh so we don't cry. Right, exactly. Um, it, I mean, it plays a huge role in the movie, but also the time in which the crimes take place. Like, you can see it in the way that the victims are treated, even down to the language that is used when talking about the sex workers who are still alive. Like... The term whore, bangtail, undesirable are all used to describe the female characters. Yikes. Yikes on bikes. Mm. So we obviously talk a lot about misogyny on our show. (laughs) So I think it's important to highlight some of the origins of it in our culture. Um, And obviously this goes probably for the UK's culture as well. Um, 
I am not from the UK, but I can go ahead and assume based on what I've learned throughout history that the cultures are pretty similar. Um, so <laughs> to quote um, a New York Times article, the term emerged in the 17th century in response to an anti-woman pamphlet written by an <laughs> yeah, <laughs> written by an English fencing master named Joseph Swetnam. But the 1615 tract titled in part The Arraignment of Lewd, Idle, Froward, and Unconstant Women Froward <laughs> meant disobedient. Oh god. Was yeah, I know. Was published amid modern anxiety and debate about women's place in society. Uh, it was basically a compendium of sexist jokes. The dyspeptic work was aimed at an audience of the ordinary set of giddy-headed young men. And it was very popular. Jesus. Women are crooked by nature, Swetnam wrote, sounding like a proto-incel. To him... <laughs> To him, even the fairest woman has some filthiness in her. Oh, my. Fuck yeah, we do. <laughs> what an asshole. Right? Going all the way back to Eve, womankind was no sooner made, but straightway her mind was set upon mischief. For by her aspiring mind and wanton, she will quickly procure man's fall. And therefore, ever since they are and have been a woe unto man, and follow the line of their first leader. <laughs> oh, I think my brain melted. That's actually the best compliment I've ever gotten. Thank you so much. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, they were like pumice stones because their heart were filled with holes. He wrote. <laughs> Like painted ships because they looked pretty but contained only lead. Oh my god! <laughs> Not surprisingly, the pamphlet drew several published responses from women. In one, an anonymously written feminist play called Sweatnam the Woman Hater, arraigned by women. <laughs> yes. Yes, the character standing in for Sweatnam was named misogynos of course misogyny was little used for the next few centuries but its popularity skyrocketed in the mid-1970s more or less during the lexicon of second wave feminism with andrea dworkin's 1974 critique women hating in the book, Dworkin argues that a deep ingrained prejudice against women informs aspect of aspects of society from legislation to cohabitation. As she summed it up two years later, as women, we live in the midst of a society that regards us as contemptible. We are despised. We are the victims of continuous, malevolent, and sanctioned violence against us. Oh my god. Yeah, so... That was but, so tiring, listening to that man's words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he sucks. Sick, sick of it. He sucks pretty hard. Um, so, between the police investigators who are on the trail of the killer and Jack the Ripper's notions of women, it's easy to see that the case itself is steeped in a deep hatred for women. And obviously the film and graphic novel take quite a bit 
of uh, artistic liberty <laughs> when it comes to the details of the murder and the characters themselves, but they hit the nail on the head when it came to how the women in lower class were treated in that era of Victorian England. Mm-hmm. When Gull says to Aberline, the men will remember him for giving birth to the 20th century. Like, that really spoke to me because it's like, oh, great, here we go. Like, another century of violence and hatred for women. Right, and men will remember him. Yeah, yeah. Where women will probably fear him. Exactly. And it's it's weird to me that he uses the term birth, which is very feminine mm, mm-hmm, like it's true and he obviously became famous for stealing the sexual organs of women oh it's so fucking creepy it is creepy <laughs> like i think it's very telling how men viewed women at the time not even at the time also now because like ultimately now as we're establishing in our society sex doesn't define your gender yeah like, he's taking what he thinks makes these women female yes. in a display of power and misogyny. But, like, joke's on you because feminine power has more to do, got more to do than, like, just our uteruses. Which, is that even a word? Uteri? Uteruses? You- <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> no, exactly. But the other upsetting part of this is that it's not just the men who carry misogyny in their hearts. Like... The women in the film have a lot of internalized misogyny as well. Yep. Prime example is the queen. Yes. Uh, in order to cover up a scandal that would surely undo the royal family, she has an entire group of sex workers murdered. And she has Albert's wife, Anne, lobotomized and committed to an asylum. Like, sh- rather than shedding a light on what dr gall is doing she sweeps it under the rug and shrugs it off because during that time and like even now sex workers are seen as expendable Mm. but i mean it goes deeper than that too because when i was watching the commentary for the film which included albert and alan hughes as well as Raphael iglesias the women characters or the female characters were constantly referred to as whores like by the directors and some of the points of the film that they discussed were just like dripping in misogyny and i think that they were trying to be like woke you know Mm -hmm. but their language and attitude about the female characters in the film were alarming well didn't they mention something about the annie chapman uh abuses the women and how because she's a lesbian she's just like the men yes and it's like, wait, what? Yeah, they they take the only openly gay character in the film and they're like, <laughs> they're talking about her character and like why she acts this way. And they're like, oh, well, she's a, a lesbian and she takes advantage of, you know, the other women when they're in emotional pain and like all this stuff because she's just like the men and like she's what's wrong with the world like she says in the script and i'm like oh my god yeah no (laughs) no it was awful it was it was painful to hear them talk about it um like i know that this film came out in 2001 but i also feel like that's kind of a shitty excuse you know i mean it's at this point what like 19 years old now Mm -hmm. but it just 
they had the opportunity to do, like, something really cool, something that was kind of unprecedented at the time with, like, a, a gay character, and then they were just, like, Pfft. they just shot it down. Right, exactly. And so to kind of sum up everything that we've talked about, like, the horror here is that women and trans women especially cannot walk the streets alone at night without being scared or being called a sex worker or lady of the night. Even, and even if they are, who the fuck cares? Like, that's the thing. It's like there's this myth behind cis male violence against, you know, all women that stretches back ages. Like, women and trans women truly aren't free still. And this is older than Jack the Ripper. Like, there are fairy tales that warn little girls not stray far from the path because if they do, a wolf will get them. Yep. And, you know, how about the wolf controls his himself and leaves the little girl alone? Damn it. It, it bothers me so much that even in 2020, women and trans women are, you know, especially trans women, especially trans women of color. Like, this is what is so infuriating to me is that I'm almost going to, like, start crying. Like, I'm so mad right now. Um, is that these women are targeted and they're killed because you know, they scare people. And it's so, it's so upsetting to me and so frustrating. And, um, and then you have people like freaking JK Rowling, who is saying things on her Twitter, like on her major platform, she has like 14 million people following her. And she's saying really scary shit about how trans women aren't really women. And like, how damaging that is for trans people to hear that. And like, she's, like she's using this platform for bad and it's and it's so frustrating it's so sad and it really infuriates me well and you would think that like you would hope anyway that those kind of ideologies and ideas of people would die out with the centuries that pass and they don't and it's absolutely appalling and infuriating and i think like this film was great to discuss and like talk about during this time because you start to realize like holy shit like we haven't really come that far Mm -hmm. i mean we have we've made strides and like we've made an effort but it's not enough because people are still dying right and it's because of the threat of (laughs) like white male misogyny and patriarchy Right, and internal misogyny. Yeah. It's awful at the end. That's it for this week's episode of Good Morning, Nancy. (laughs) Just an update on our Patreon. If you're a new patron, we won't be sending out any gifts until this whole COVID-19 crap blows over, for the most part at least. So please, new patrons, hang tight. We will make sure to send you your gifts soon. However, you can still support the show by checking out our merch shop. We've got coffee mugs, sweatshirts, t-shirts, and more. Head on over to goodmorningnancy.com merch and click the shirt icon to be taken to our shop so you can treat yourself. Oh, and please consider donating what you can to the Black Lives Matter movement, as well as Trans Lifeline. Those links are in the show notes. Thank you. Yes, and we know that times are tough right now, so if you like the show, you can also help out by following us on social media. Facebook at Good Morning Nancy, Twitter at Good Morning Nan, and Instagram at Good Morning Nancy Podcast. Don't forget to also tell a friend and spread the word about our show. 
We love you all to death. Have a good morning. Bye.